0: hello everybody welcome back to the pumpkin patch today we're going to talk about the hunt for a vampire that led to a real magician feud stay tuned you're listening to the foggy jack live podcast now let's go down to the pumpkin patch
1: The Foggy Jack Network. For more shows like this one, please visit www.foggyjack13.weebly.com.
0: All right, everybody, welcome back to the Pumpkin Patch. Today we're going to talk about the Highgate Cemetery Vampire, um, and I heard, I've heard this story also on Hillbilly Horror Stories, who I always like to give love to, because they are the reason I am doing what I'm doing, is because of Hillbilly Horror Stories. So, let's get into the story. It is dubbed the creepiest cemetery in London, but it was also the site of a pretty hilarious series of events. Um, local newspaper in the 1970s caught onto a story that would attract national attention. There was a vampire on the loose in a high, in Highgate Cemetery and two men were competing to be the first to catch it. In The cemetery in North London was the it place for the resting souls of wealthy Londoners in the 19th century. The graveyard was an impressive landscape of intricate tombstones, gothic busts battling unruly ivy, and an A-list guestbook of permanent residents including German philosopher Karl Marx and novelist George Eliot. By the end of the Second World War, the cemetery was in need of some serious TLC. It was run down, making it the perfect filming location for horror movies such as From Beyond the Graves and Taste, Taste the Blood of Dracula in the early 70s. But residents were experiencing a horror story of their own. Sightings of a sinister, dark figure with red, blood-red eyes who appeared to glide above the grounds starting, started cropping up in local newspapers. There was no other plausible explanation. It must be a vampire. One of the sightings was recounted, was recounted in a letter written by young Wicca pagan witchcraft enthusiast David Ferrant and published in the Hampstead and Highgate Express. Ferrant claimed he had seen a tall, gray figure floating in the cemetery on Christmas Eve in 1969 and that he had since found foxes on the ground that were, with their throats slit. As the president of the Psychic and Occult Society, it is no surprise that he jumped to paranormal conclusions. Shortly after Ferrant's letter was published, a second man, Sean Mancaster, was interviewed by the same newspaper for an article titled, Does a Vampire Walk in Highgate? um Mr. Mancha- Man- Manchester, sorry, claimed that the figure was in fact a king vampire, a medieval black magician who had practiced witchcraft in waichaya the home of Dracula, before being buried in the cemetery. His body, Mr. Manchester claimed, had been resurrected by a modern Satanist, and his demonic form now stalked the grounds at night. Mr. Manchester, president of the British Occult Society, self-professed exorcist and vampire slayer, and alleged bishop of some unknown church, declared that he would be the one to rid the cemetery of the vampire. Ferrant hit back, saying the vampire myth had been blown out of proportion with the unhelpful influences of the media, and that the figure was in fact nothing more than your common garden ghost. Duh <laughs> In 1970, Manchester published the Highgate Vampire, Ferrant came back with a publication of Beyond the Highgate Vampire. So, where is this going? <laughs> Proving that hell hath no fury like a magician scorned, and two developed a feud, the two developed a feud that continues to this day, and their antics around the Highgate vampire hysteria attracted the attention of a national press. Stories about the Highgate Vampire got out of got so out of control that on Friday, March thirteenth, nineteen seventy, an ITV special reported reports about the seminary prominent seminary promoted an angry mob to descend on Highgate, determined to rid their town of a vampire tormenting local residents. Both Mr. Manchester and Mr. Ferrant had been interviewed for the report. With Mr. Manchester taunting his rival by announcing that he would be the leading, he would be leading a vampire hunt in the cemetery every night. Eager hunters lined the gates and climbed over the walls to witness this event. Despite police efforts to control the mob, several graves were graves were opened and corpses were beheaded and mutilated with spikes both in the night and during subsequent hunts. Although several hunters claimed to witness the dark figure in the cemetery, the cunning vampire remained unslewn. Mr. Ferrant and Mr. Manchester continued to complete both compete, both claiming they would be the first to find and kill their undead neighbor. In a conclusion straight out of Harry Potter, the two decided to hold a duel to decide once and for all which is which of them two, uh, which of the two of them was the greater magician and paranormalist. Flyers started to appear in London Underground Station advertising a magical duel which was scheduled for April 13, 1973 in Parliament, on Parliament Hill in Hampstead. Rumors swirled around the media and the two were planning to sacrifice a cat in the presence of naked virgins. When a local man, beloved pet, failed to return home one day, Mr. Ferrant was villainized by the RSPCA and the media for allegedly having beheaded the animal as part of a pagan ritual. The duel never took place, and Fer- and Mr. Farrant was arrested in 1974 next to Highgate Cemetery carrying a crucifix and a wooden stake and was convicted of damaging memorials and interfering with the dead remains. But he successfully sued News News of the World for making him look like a cat killer. And because a lawsuit is so much is. Much too worldly for the likeness of a magician, he also posted out voodoo dolls with pins stuck in the head to an RSPCA inspector and others who had called for his prosecution just for good measure. With no duel to settle the matter, the feud between Mr. Manchester and Mr. Ferrant is still alive and well, with Mr. Ferrant involved in the distribution of a line of comics called The Adventures of Bishop Bonkers with accompanying Bishop Bonker merchandise. Mr. Manchester writes several blo- blogs aimed to vilify his rival, described, describing him as suffering from narcissistic personality disorder and often illustrated with paintings of Ferrant as a demon. He also claimed that he later tracked the vampire down to a house in Croach End where he had plunged a pike into his body and burnt it. Oh, good. Excitement around the cemetery died down and now only history buffs are interested in visiting the graves. And if you're thinking about that Highgate vampire craze sounds like something out of a movie, that's because it is Dracula AD 1972 was inspired by the bizarre events that took place there only 50 years ago. Um, And I am going to go see if I can find their blogs or articles and I'll I'll probably throw it in here too. So thank you guys for listening and I hope you have a great afternoon and I will see you next time at the Pumpkin Patch where the haunters meet the haunted. Goodbye, thank you, and blessed be.
1: Vampires and Vampiroids by Bishop Sean Manchester The only bloodsuckers I have dealt with were people who had a demonic compulsion to drink blood. I have had to deal with lost souls that died violent deaths. But they couldn't possibly drink blood. Are you dealing with sorcerers and shamans soul-traveling to harass people, Tim Temple, Order of Saint Patrick? There exists two possibilities which exist for the phenomenon written about since time immemorial. One is a predatory demonic wraith which masquerades as a dead person exhibiting supernatural abilities that include metamorphosis. The other possibility is a person afflicted by demonic possession close to death who seemingly expires while in truth is held in a twilight state. This person does not belong to God's true dead and is awaiting release from the condition which will free their tormented soul so that it can find the peace of death. The fictional vampires portrayed in the films you describe do not exist. However. There are people who emulate such portrayals who drink blood and claim to drain energy. They are known as vampiroids, but are not real vampires. Some actually believe themselves to be vampires. They are not. How could they be when the definition of a vampire, upon examination, is revealed to be a manifestation which eschews forth from its tomb in the night to quaff the blood of the living? Vampiroids therefore, cannot be supernatural beings with an awful existence beyond the grave. People who either believe themselves to be vampires, or want to become vampires and affect what they construe to be vampiristic lifestyles, even when this is taken to extremes, are invariably vampiroids. There are various categories of vampiroid, ranging from harmless posers to dangerous psychopaths. The former may be benign, but the latter are more than capable of murder. Thus the vampiroid is not a supernatural being, but a human who embraces what he or she assumes to be a lifestyle commensurate with vampirism as largely depicted in fictional films and literature. Whereas the true vampire partakes of the dark natures and possesses the terrible qualities of both apparition and demon, assuming the form of a dead body to suck the blood of the living vampiroids identify with the imagery of the vampire and become totally seduced by its mythology, having almost no regard for what is fact and what is fantasy. The more extreme examples of vampiroidism, known as ultra-vampiroids, have no problem with the fact that in reality vampires are biocidal and destroy all life forms. Hence, within the supra-individual level of the psyche, They respond utterly to the vampire archetype. Despite the very high percentage of relatively harmless posers in most vampiroid clubs, there can nevertheless occasionally be found a small number of extreme types. These can vary in levels of psychotic behavior from proto vampiroids to ultra vampiroids. By no means are all vampiroids enmeshed in diabolism and murder. In fact, the majority are definitely not. However, the clubs produce literature that feeds certain beliefs and obsessions. These undoubtedly compromise the dynamics of any benign vampiroid philosophy, such as it can be deduced from those within these groups. The crude and splenetic expression of their views points to an irrational pathological prejudice rather than a coherent philosophy. Some of this prejudice is similar to malefic occultism with an anti-Christian bias personality problems obviously plays a part in the opinions expressed by many, but vampiroidism per se is no freak display of gothic romanticism at its most decadent. It is, in fact, anti-gothic and anti-romantic. At its cutting edge its raw materials are concepts usually allied to destructive beliefs and an acute ethnocentric identification with the archetype in forms that are mostly allegorical. Antisocial behavior is nonetheless evinced in acts of bloodletting and mutilation, blood drinking, and, occasionally, profanity towards sacred things, especially Christian images. Tribalism and morbidity play an enormous role, despite the fact that most vampiroids are frequently found to be introverted loners. It is the epiphenomenon of the vampire cult and spans a quite wide spectrum, but the fundamental ingredients of blood, death, fear and evil remain constant. However, even mimetic vampiroids frequently evince narcissistic personality disorders as well as schizotypal disorders. These relatively harmless representatives of the subculture display imitative vampire behavior are indicative of theatrical posturing. Ultra-vampiroids, thankfully very much fewer in number than their mimetic counterparts at the other end of the spectrum often belong to extremist sects who espouse diabolism and vary in their degree of fanaticism. Little can be learned by studying the propaganda of vampiroid literature because, like its diabolical counterpart, it misrepresents the facts and offers false promises. Claims made by such groups are frequently absurd, but it is on such absurdities that they rely to attract members to their cult. Some might initially feel a sense of belonging and purpose when they enter these groups, but it does not last, just as the groups themselves do not last but break up and proliferate with the exception of a tiny handful. Vampiroid syndrome and ultra are each afforded a chapter in my vampirological guide The Vampire Hunter's Handbook. There is also a chapter in the Highgate Vampire titled Vampires, Vampiroids and Satanists that makes a clear distinction between an accursed body which cannot rest in the kindly earth and those who want to emulate the undead, as, more and more misguided individuals, live vampiric lifestyles some with the ambition of ultimately becoming undead when their earthly existence expires.
0: Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Foggy Jack Live podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Foggy Jack 13 That's where we're most active and that's where you can find all of our other shows that we have here with daily updates on the new shows. Also, click the link in the bio for our t-shirts. Make sure you grab a Foggy Jack Live t-shirt. We have quite a few different styles of t-shirts we have. From the classic orange logo to a purple logo to... Even a Playboy Mansion model logo. Go check them out in the bio. You can also find our website, all of our other social media accounts, and so much more. If you like the show, please consider joining our Patreon page for 3 5 or $12 a month. With all of those, you get five bonus episodes a week. Plus... I'm going to start sending out postcards to each and every one of you every month for the podcast and thanking you guys for being a member of the Foggy Jack Live Patreon page or the Pumpkin Guts episodes. You can also be a sponsor to the show. You just go over to Patreon and look for the sponsorship tab. Thank you guys so much for joining me down at the Pumpkin Patch where the hunters meet the haunted. I will see you next time on the Foggy Jack Live podcast. Thank you. Goodbye and blessed be. Oh, it's getting spooky in
1: here.